I'm, uh, I'm uh, I, I think I'm on on record as being a fan. So. Yeah, I, you're I, on record as being a, a fan of the crickets. I, I recall you were one of the early <laughs> <yes>. pro cricket votes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And uh, whenever I would, who was which one of you was in the car again? One of you was in the car. Yeah, I was. I was in the car. I've. You need I've to get since... back in the car. That was the the whole charm of this podcast was you in the in the car. Good morning and welcome to episode 200 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, as always. Uh, every hundred episodes or so, we contact someone more interesting than we are and ask them to come onto the show and talk for a while. Uh, and today, that person is Will Leach, a senior writer at Sports on Earth, contributing editor at New York Magazine, the founder of Deadspin, an author of actual books printed on, on paper, I believe. Uh, and, uh, so we are, we are happy to have him with us today. Thank you for joining us, Will. Oh, please. I'm, I'm, I'm very honored. I am such a regular listener of the program that I remember, I remember the time that you guys forgot that the Astros were in the AL West. <laughs> like, that's actually how much I've listened to the show. So it's every time I'm on, uh, I'm a big podcast listener and I've, now that I've started my own, I, it's literally just to like try to pretend to be like the podcast that I already listened to. So like every time I'm on a podcast, I listen to all the time. I always feel like I'm like visiting like the characters on my favorite cartoon <laughs> like i'm just like popping in it's like that twilight zone episode where you uh, the, the one for the movie where you could go the the kid could put the people in the cartoon <laughs> and have them uh so it's a very strange thing so i'm very honored to be on it I, I hope not to uh to to ruin ruin the vibe so when you imagine as we're animated <laughs> yeah you are and big huge eyes like just like crazy <laughs> eyes and like someone will make a point that the other person disagrees with and the eyes will go huge and pop out of your head. That is, that is the way I imagine it. So I, I assume that actually happens. If it doesn't happen that way, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. We rarely disagree. It would be a much better show if we did disagree from time to time. But it yeah, doesn't yeah, happen. No. Hey, listen, embrace debate. OK, can we embrace debate? So how so so if people want to listen to to your podcast and and now that they know it exists they will probably desert our podcast and listen <laughs> to yours exclusively. Uh, it is the the Will Leach experience. You can find it at, at sportsonearth.com and on iTunes and and you are 19 episodes in. Although I I like your numbering system uh, of of seasons. I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like one one dot 19. Yeah, I haven't figured out when we're going to stop because they, they certainly certainly the people that are that that I'm sending the podcast to every day and that are formatting it and putting it together and and cutting off all the awful, terrible things we're saying at the end. I always just save all my horrible things to say so I know they'll cut them off. They uh, they they've asked that same question. Like, when is so this is a season? When is this going to stop? When yeah. is this going to happen? I've been trying so to figure I, out if there's an arc, to, if there's a story arc that I'm not picking up on. Or... I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for the big uh, for the big close. I'm, I'm building up to a cliffhanger. There's mm -hmm. going to be a huge one. We have uh, uh, Jay Jaffe's coming on next week, oh, okay. and you'll never believe. <laughs> you'll never believe what's coming up next. And, uh, that's the goal. But I don't know. I, I assume there'll just be a number. I'll be like, okay, 376. This is 1.376. <laughs> now we'll 378 and 2.1. And so how have you found the, the competitive cutthroat world of, of daily <laughs> sports podcasting? We, we, I think we felt that we had run out of things to say by our first week or so of, of doing shows. Uh, so you've been doing this for a few weeks now. Do you, do you still feel like you have things to say to the world? 
Well, the fun thing about my podcast is I don't have to say too much mm-hmm. because I can just ask other people things. You know, one of the fun – my major issue is talking slower. Mm-hmm. I naturally – you know, people have often said that like when they listen to, they, they listen to me talk or I, when I've had I've done television or radio uh, uh, stuff, they always say I'm talking really fast. Were you nervous? But like I, I naturally talk really quickly. I felt really bad about this and then I listened to like – I had Joe Sheehan on mm-hmm. and he talks like five <laughs> times faster than I do. So I was like – and he's like – like he does this stuff all the time. He has like Radio Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, uh, which is I think is an actual trademark that Sheehan has nailed down. And so I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to slow down. But generally speaking, the nice thing about doing the podcast is I just get to talk to an interesting person for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that to me is the idea of the podcast was just I didn't want to make it go too long. And you guys were actually good about that because I felt like there's a lot of really long podcasts. And so I felt like if I was going to do a daily one, I could not do a two-hour daily one if just so I need to occasionally see my family. So uh, so I figured I'd just find an interesting person to talk to for a half an hour. And I'm four weeks in, and I've yet to run out of interesting people, but I'm sure that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> That was crazy. Yeah. So much energy, and then Ben just <laughs> completely dropped it. So, so you, ben, you, you've run out of interesting people to talk to, too. Should I, should I ask you a question, Ben? Yeah, I think so. All right, so uh, so Will, here's 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 why I wanted to have you on. Um, mm-hmm. When you started doing this, when you were um, you know when you were at Deadspin and and um, and you were well, we were all sort of I think figuring out uh, how to deal with the internet, etc. Um, it was uh, the, the 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 average smart baseball fans' relationship uh, to the game was somewhat confrontational because we all thought that we were really smart and that. Uh, GMs were dumb and scouts were dumb and everybody was dumb except for us and like the six people we were reading online. And that attitude is almost completely gone, I think, at this point. I I think that uh, for the most part, the culture war of like 2004 to 2006 or whatever is done, except between writers and fans. Uh, There's still just this tremendous like uh, uh, conflict between beat writers and columnists, uh, not all beat writers, not all columnists, but a lot of beat writers and columnists and fans. And it's the one place where like the Jack Morris argument still lives on. And it's the one place where, um, you know, people are still trying to recreate fire Joe Morgan on Twitter. And, uh, every Sunday, some columnist in North Dakota will write a piece, uh, headlined war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And then we'll all freak out as though, uh, like something really important is happening and we need to, to fix it. So you write, uh, about, sort of sports consumerism uh, at Sports on Earth. And so I just wanted your take on why it is that we hate reporters so much or, or why it is that we still have such a tense relationship uh, with uh, writers and columnists. And, and it seems like almost nobody else. Well, you know, I think part of it is, frankly, remembering how weird their jobs are and how kind of like isolating they can be from the rest of the planet. You know, it, the, it, 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 was, a, it was a rough job. Uh, to be a beat guy. Um, and for the record, I'm kind of ex- exempting columnists for this because, frankly, columnists are kind of half-assed no matter what they're writing about. Like, you know, I, I feel like uh, in a lot of ways, uh, columnists are just the inherent, and I say this as being one of them, of course, that they're inherently kind of parachuting into whatever they're talking about anyway. So they're never going to be as uh, in tune for the people that are, you know, the specialists in the field. Uh, but I think, you know, beat guys in a lot of ways, you know, it's a tough job. It was a tough job before you had to tweet all day and before you had to file quick updates all day. And, you know, these are guys, you know, it's very funny. I, I've because since I started New York Magazine, I've had to 
be in the press box a little bit more often uh, than uh, than I had that I had ever wanted to be, to be honest. And there's this great thing. I went to the uh, at City Field. They have on the wall. They have like framed photos of beat reporters but they're all like from like 20 years ago <laughs> so you you see like you see like uh, joel sherman when he was like 31 <laughs> and, yes, and it's like moss it, klein on there and and yeah i, I, I yeah. saw the, the wall of beat writers recently yeah and it's weird and, and i think it kind of speaks to this really kind of clubbish kind of i say club i don't mean that to be like a class thing i think people hear that and they're like oh you're a special part of the princeton eating club i don't mean that so much as much as these guys just this is a tough job you know they they are around each other all the time they uh they really only talk to each other because they're so they're too busy to talk to real fans so i think that it it fosters in them an adversarial relationship and it becomes almost fun for them to stoke it so and and so I think like I think there are a lot of intelligent beat guys who I think enjoy the back and forth in a way that's not they enjoy the back and forth more than they actually enjoy finding the answer to things and I think that actually fosters I think that that's part of the problem and I I I'm always hesitant to criticize those guys too much cuz their jobs suck <laughs> like I know I know I know it's really easy to say that like oh you sit and watch baseball all day that's amazing and on one hand of course it is on the other hand you are on the road all the time you have people calling you an idiot all the time sometimes justifiably and you are you also have, you know, players that could care less about your existence, and uh, and really are are indifferent whether you are just another face in the crowd trying to potentially cause them trouble, and that that's a demoralizing job, particularly when you work so hard at it. And so I try to have a lot of, I try to have a little bit of sympathy for for those guys, just because it's hard. It's a hard kind of thing. But yeah, when you see them kind of like obviously trolling and uh, 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 I think analytic uh, people. It's I can see why it's 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 not easy to have a lot of sympathy for them in that regard. And I think it, I think it's because, you know, I, I, every time I'm in the press box, I always it's so removed from the actual game happening. Like I feel it's it's like a fishbowl. Like if I can like tap on the press box window and oh maybe they'll see me, <laughs> maybe maybe the fish in the in the in the this thing you're so removed that you're not actually experiencing the game. And I think that speaks a lot to the difference and uh, and a lot of the battles. Yeah, when, when it, or, go, yeah. Andy I'll, Andy McCullough wrote a, a piece for us today at, at BP. He's the he's the beat writer for the the Yankees at the Star Ledger, and and he wrote about just kind of the constant anxiety of the job. Just from the the moment he wakes up, he kind of scans Twitter, scans what everyone else is doing, just hoping that he hasn't missed some sort of story. Uh, and I I saw this firsthand when I was down in DC a couple of weeks ago, and I was there just to to talk to a player for a, a story I was doing. And I had no particular deadline, and I didn't have to cover any breaking news or anything. And and there was one really good beat writer who was there, who I'm friendly with, and and he, like the team had just activated a reliever, uh, and he hadn't known about it immediately because he wasn't tipped off by the the team's PR guy, and so he got you know his his boss is calling him and saying why does the team's official site have this story about this reliever who was just activated from the DL and we don't have it yet. Uh, and it was, and it's just such a, a mundane story that that happens 20 times a year and doesn't have a big impact on everything. But you just you have to be on top of every little item that happens to a team, basically 24/7 for seven months of the year, if not more. 
Yeah, and it's reasonable that they might not necessarily stay on top of all analytical trends, <laughs> to be honest. And 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 again, so the, I try to give them as much as you know when like when you hear the 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 will to win crap and all that stuff. Like like it's they're very easy to mock, and I think a lot of it is justified. But uh, not, not to compare all beat gut writers with Hawk Harrelson. By the way, I'm sorry I did that. But uh, but I, but obviously you know I mean it's a different job you know and a different job. And I'm not sure necessarily that these are. Are uh, not are necessarily incompatible. I think that maybe uh, uh, people that that criticize the beat guys uh, feed each feed them the way that uh, the beat guys uh, uh, vice versa. You know, I feel I feel like that's there's something to be said for that. I feel like there's value in both. I I like that there are beat guys. Um, um, you know, finding those weird. You know, talking about how Adam Wainwright. You know, ter- uh, has a specific way that he co- he, fo- he he throws his curveball and mm-hmm. and like those, those little kind of intricate details. I'm glad that exists, but I also don't trust those guys to always be able to see the forest for the trees. So as a consumer, as someone that's frankly neither one of them, I actually love being able to get both. Do you uh, do you care if they um, uh, if they sort of I, I don't want to say this is going to sound like a, a sort of an arrogant term, but do you care if they're right about these things? If they're uh, you know, when does it matter to you whether they're, you know, stat savvy and, you know, modern and, you know, uh, up on the latest trends or whether they're just peddling kind of tired old narratives? D- do you think there's any kind of significance to the world uh, in that regard? Or, or is it really just, you know, they're just they're just another part of this whole uh, this whole industry in which, uh, you know, we need to have different places to be, uh, to, to find conflict and different, you know, we're basically yelling at each other over things that don't matter, I guess is, is what I'm saying. So does it matter if they're right or is it good that they're wrong? Do we need them to be wrong? Uh, you know, I'd prefer, I'd prefer them to be right, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm a, been a little bit spoiled in that as I'm a Cardinals fan. So I've been reading Derek Gould and Matthew Leach and Jennifer Langosh for, you know, the last 10 years. Those are all really smart, analytically minded writers and but they're they're beat people and they they're really good <laughs> like they're really good and i to me like on one hand i i also feel like part of it's in new york i know that there are a lot of beat guys that are that in other cities are not that and i feel like that kind of weird competition thing is kind of a specific new york thing but certainly yeah i would prefer my beat guys to be fluent in that i think a guy like Derek gould who is really great and i i think definitively like not not only is is open uh to to notions of of analytics but is frankly quite versed in them and and understands them and knows when to apply them and when not to uh you know i feel like he's a better beat reporter than a lot of, than a lot of the guys uh, certainly sometimes i kind of enjoy the perspective and it'll be kind of funny to like you know you, you you'll watch a game and uh, and and you know there are times you'll watch a game and you're like oh man the beat guys are gonna have a heyday in this even though i know it's it's statistically insignificant and they're gonna make a big story out of something that doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things just as an entertainment value there's sometimes uh some 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 goodness in that some value in it but uh i all told i would prefer to have both and i think there are guys that do both there are men and women that do a lot of really great job of doing both i i just wish there were more of them do any of those guys get any money out of you or are you just following them on twitter <laughs> no money, no money. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not making enough yet. But certainly, uh, uh, if I listen, if I can contribute to uh, to to smart beat people uh, who uh, who get analytics and get what the beat has, I would I would be happy to do it. I'm not sure I, I would help enough. Why do you think that it's uh, 
why is it kind of taken as a, a personal affront when we yeah. when we find a, a sports writer or a sports caster uh, incompetent or we we disagree with what they say? Why why do we take it so personally? Why do we go out of our way to find that columnist in North Dakota who doesn't think war is is worth looking at? When when really I mean. To the extent that there is is a, a debate or a dispute, I mean, it's been settled in in front offices where it, it really counts, right? I mean, we we maybe there was a reason to be defensive about this sort of thing a decade ago, two right. decades ago, when it hadn't clearly kind of won where it matters. Um, but now, if if there's a, a media person who isn't on board with that, it's really, I think, maybe more of a reflection on that person than it is on, on the merit of that way of looking at the game or looking at sports. So why why can't we let it go? Or, or why can't we just kind of accept that viewpoint and, and move on? Well, because it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to find someone. It's fun to feel smarter than someone. Everybody, there's not a single person in the world that doesn't take a little cathartic joy and kinetic joy from, you know, feeling smarter than, than seeing someone <laughs> that has a larger stage than you do mm-hmm. do something stupid. And uh, there, there, there's something inherent and I think deeply human about that kind of that kind of idea. Everyone wants to feel smart. And 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 I, I don't I think when this happens, it's not necessarily a case of just feeling smart. I think it's maybe actually a case of actually being smarter um but you know i it's you're right like i don't know if to think of when we to go back to i think the obvious example of fire joe morgan i don't know how a site like fire joe morgan would do right now because uh, you know it's so much of the stuff that they satirized brilliantly i don't i you, you there's less of it now and when someone does it they're either just completely clueless and they yeah the north dakota columnist who is like why are people talking about math so much i like my baseball like i like my women and <laughs> just you can just guess whatever the weird thing he would say next and um but and so it's so the, there just aren't that many of those people anymore which i think is again a sign of progress but also you know it's it's not as it, it it feels like piling on because generally speaking the revolution has won you know it has and 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 one of the things I love about that Keith Law will do uh, when he when he always, I feel like he always takes the right angle on this when he discusses it because he'll talk about how you know um, the people that don't understand the importance of this in baseball are actually just not doing their jobs because people within the game. Full, not only fully embrace it, but have fully embraced it for years and think people who don't are idiots. Mm-hmm. So like if you are not doing that, you're actually bad at your job. <laughs> like regardless that it's fun for me to make fun of you and fun for all of us to make fun of them, that's actually part of the job now. And if you are not, you know, it would be it would be like someone, you know, covering the movie industry, but like having no idea like how actors work, mm-hmm. you know, like like so wait, so you you have some device and you move around. Is there is there are there words that are written down for you to say before you go on the set? <laughs> like it's like this basic kind of obvious thing that how baseball works. And I feel like if you don't understand it, you're not doing it. You're just not good at your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get the feeling that a lot of writers who are most anti-stat, they think that they're reflecting uh, GM's positions or, or front office positions, that they just haven't really uh, gotten the memo that this is what the GMs and front offices they cover are doing because players don't talk about it, managers rarely talk about it, and a lot of times front offices uh, downplay it. And so uh, I think that they actually think that um, that they're the ones who are kind of 
reflecting the team's position and they think that they're um uh, you know that they're more in tune with with standard industry practice. I think that's probably the the, the great divide is that slowly they're uh, they're 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 getting uh, uh, I don't know. I think front offices are are feeling like those people are not really in tune. Anyway, uh, you mentioned uh, wanting to feel like you had a uh, that you were smarter than a person with a bigger stage than you. You now have a bigger stage than a lot of people. Do you find people put many much effort and much energy? into uh making you feel dumb uh, they don't really need to uh, but uh they uh certainly you know i i i've always kind of listen i'm i'm raised in the internet i'm comfortable with the internet i love the internet um and so i you know i i have to say i've never quite understood i i i think this my stage is a little smaller than than you imply but i'll i'll take it nevertheless I do feel that uh, I never understand why anyone that has any sort of stage or has any sort of readership or any sort of whatever, it's very baffling to me. It's always been baffling to me why they get upset when people say bad things about them. Like I don't understand it. Like if you you got into this field, like you're, you're not like an anonymous accountant in Omaha. Like you are in a field where you put your name on things that you write. You don't get to be, oh, I can't believe this person responded to me in the negative, low, even personal manner. <laughs> like it's very, it's so strange. Like like this is this is what we signed up for, you know. And it's this, it's very weird. And I and frankly, I feel like kind of self indulgent and a little egotistical when people are like, you know, people want all the good side of being able to make a living writing about sports and they don't want any of the bad. They want to feel like experts and be experts, but don't want to actually be challenged. You know, I, I don't understand why you would work in a field where your name is literally the first thing that people see before you use whatever words you have to say and then be like, oh, how could you say this horrible thing to me? It's this is the, this is what you signed up for. If you really didn't want this, you could have you could have been a construction worker. You could have done all sorts of things. You could have been a teacher. You could have done a ton of things that would allow you to live a live a perfectly happy anonymous life. So I I never understand why people get so upset about what people say about them on the internet. This is the way. This is what we signed up for. This is part of the deal. You don't get the good part of of. Uh, Internet fame and putting those two words together always feels strange. But um, you don't get the good part of internet fame and not get not and and but then act like the bad part is trolling or people just trying to fight at you. Like this is the way it works, you know. I I generally I honestly I spent a really really long time waiting a large portion of my adult life writing all the time and hoping someone would notice and no one did and not getting paid for it and not like so the idea that now now that i've got a little bit of, of a bigger stage and i'm able to make a living at this the now the idea that now i would be like oh how could you say that terrible thing you don't understand me at all you just you're, you're just insert name of this thing it's it's it would be not only would it be hypocritical it would be a betrayal of kind of the idea of what what inspired me to be a part of this in the first place so yeah i i think it's honestly even when someone says the meanest things and they've said so many mean things <laughs> uh i i honestly i i don't this is what we signed up for i don't understand i feel like if you are someone that gets like personally offended by people saying mean things about you on the internet you really this is the wrong industry for you i don't really understand it do you find that you have uh changed your your voice or your tone at all or, or mellowed to any extent as your audience has grown and you've kind of gravitated from the 
I don't know, outside of the establishment to to basically the establishment or, or close to it? Has that kind of affected uh, the, the kind of stories that you write or, or the way that you express what you write? I feel pretty lucky in that, like, I remember in the early days of Deadspin, one of the first uh, things that someone wrote about it, they said that it was the insider sports blog, which is hilarious because it was literally me walking <laughs> nine steps from my bed to my desk and typing words. And they're like, it could not have been more outside if I'd have been writing it from Mars. So, like, and I'll be honest, I don't, I don't really spend a lot of time, like, I have friends, like, you know, I, I think of... I think of friends of mine that work in the industry, but like they're really like Tommy Craggs is a friend of mine and AJ is a friend of mine and, you know, and Jason Fry is a friend. Like my personal friends, they're like th – that. those are my personal friends. The idea of, of being – uh, in the industry or having a wider readership or like, I don't really hang out with that many sports writers. <laughs> like I just don't. And, um, so I feel like that, like, I, I'm always going to feel like an outsider because I don't really, I don't like, I occasionally go to press boxes, but I'm not good at it. I have to say, I like the trend of press boxes now because no one talks to one another. <laughs> they all just sit and tweet and put their headphones on, which is exactly what I do all day anyway. There's just now a game going on out, oh, over my computer top. So, um, so I, I actually that, that that actually makes the press box easier for me. But I, I mean, I really like. I guess I, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm paid professionally to work in the industry, so obviously I'm a part of it. But I don't really feel a part of it because I don't. I don't really hang out with a lot of people, and I'm not a beat guy, so I don't really hang out with those guys that much. They're all nice guys. I respect what they do, but like it's just not really my world in a lot of ways. So I like to think, and I'm sure obviously there have been probably thousands of small changes in myself that I have uh, not noticed the way that humans never notice small changes themselves over a period of time. But certainly uh, I like to think, and maybe this is deluded, I like to think that generally speaking I'm – coming at things from the same angle and doing things in the same way than I did when Deadspin started in uh, in in 2005. And obviously, I've learned certain things, and there's a lot of dumb things that I did at Deadspin that I would do differently now. But I, I generally think that the viewpoint and the mindset, I hope, is the same. And I, I can say – one thing I can say is that uh, it's a common thing that people have asked about sports on earth because it's part owned by Major League Baseball if there is you – know, if, if there, there is yet to be – and I would have not taken the full-time job. Uh, I had been freelancing there for a while. I would have not taken the full-time job if there had been a single point where they had told me I couldn't write something or there was something I couldn't, did, I couldn't, I couldn't do or I couldn't say. Um, I have, I have I, I've made fun of Bud Selig's hair on the site. And if you're doing that and not getting shot – It's edgy. I, I, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Who, who says that? Like, hey, listen, I'll say the things that no one's willing to say. Next, you'll go after his his suits and his ties. What? Oh, uh, hey, let me tell you, he's like a car salesman, right? Hey, who's with me? <laughs> so we've talked a lot about uh, bad sports writing or, or sports writing that that we might perceive to be uh, inferior, and and I wanted to to talk about good sports writing because there is just an awful lot of that these days. I feel like there is there is more good sports writing or more sports writing that I would want to read than I could possibly have time for. Uh, no matter how much you, you hate your desk job and are searching for distractions, I can't imagine that any one person could possibly get to everything that is published just on a daily basis. Uh, and I I wonder, I mean, with, with just the explosion of all of these sites that are sort of dedicated to sports and and media and popular culture whether it be 
Sports on Earth and or, or Grantland or, or the new USA Today site or the classical or all of these just uh, I mean, is there is there a bubble that that is going to burst at some point? Is there going to be a, a consolidation or is there just a, a limitless appetite for this kind of material that can that can just keep spreading? And I wonder also, I mean, it, it sort of seems like in some cases these sites are are sort of incestuous, like you can find uh, you can find writers who, who write for two or three of those sites at the same time. Uh, I, I mean, Sports on Earth has has writers who write for for Baseball Prospectus or SBN or or just all these different places. And I, I wonder how difficult do you think it is to kind of establish an identity for any one of those sites? Uh, and can they all continue to coexist and thrive indefinitely? Yeah, you know, it's worth noting that, you know, still, even, you know, uh, Sports on Earth and, frankly, even Grantland, like if Grantland doesn't have – I like Grantland a lot. I have many friends that work there. I read Grantland every day. Mm-hmm. You take away the front page link from ESPN.com. I'm not sure how that site does, to be honest. These things are still all niche products, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that we forget that a little bit because we get excited because there's so much – you know, to me as a consumer, what a – just a – terrific time it is to be a consumer of mm-hmm. sports media of media in general like like there are so many i am so well informed it is funny like i know that we have this idea that the internet is making everything dumb and everything is i can't stop watching this video of this dog hugging this cow and and uh and 57 ways that uh that this that you're that you're that the 90s were awesome <laughs> You know, and and all these kind of dumb things that the internet d- does, but honestly, man, like think about the way we were before the internet was around. I know so much more about everything, like I really do. Like it, it like it's I, even just by uh, accident. I'm so well informed on matters of politics and entertainment and sports and across the world. Just as a consumer, I have so many places where, like, even if I was not trying, even if I wasn't even on Twitter, I would find I it just couldn't help but get into my brain. I feel like this is actually a pretty awesome positive step in at least brain evolution, as he says while watching a video of a cat <laughs> playing a keyboard. But you know, so I I I think in a consumerist sense. It's so awesome. Like I, 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 if, when I, if I had any idea uh, when Deadspin started in 2005, the number of options that were coming, I would have been too scared to launch it. <laughs> like there were just, there were so many, there were so, there's so much, so many options and so many places to go now. And I think it's great. Now from the other end, the actual creation of this content, you know, that, that's a little, that's a little harder. You know, I think that, you know, one of the things that I love about working for Sports on Earth is it's the, you know, sometimes it succeeds and sometimes it doesn't. But the goal is to do smart writing about sports. Like that's the goal. And sometimes, sometimes a piece here will, won't, be, won't be great, and sometimes one will hit it out of the park, and and sometimes it one a great piece won't connect, and sometimes a dumb piece will go huge. And you know, and that's just the way of the internet. It's just the way that it happens. But I think that like. Clearly, that's the goal of Grantland, and that's the goal goal of Sports on Earth, and that's the goal of the classical. You know, so I feel like it is that sustainable in the long term. I, you know, I, I don't know, and I say that as as someone that that whose whose livelihood relies upon it. Like I, I don't actually know, but I don't. The reason I don't know that is not because of the quality of the content. It's just because no one's really necessarily figured out this distribution system yet, and uh, and on one hand, you know, we live in a world where Bleacher Report is said. Uh, uh, Reggie Miller is talking about Bleacher Report on NBA playoff games. Like in in that world, 
uh, and I and I for the record I just to cover my butt here. <laughs> there's people that work for Bleacher Report that do a perfectly fine job, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But like certainly, generally speaking, you know this is that's not the highest quality content you're finding on the internet. I think that I think that's probably a fair assessment, and. You know, so certainly can that can that subsist and and go on forever? I don't know. I don't think it can, to be honest. I think that that's kind of a trick. And I and I generally do believe and maybe this is idealistic and maybe this is dumb, but I generally do believe that good stuff ultimately is rewarded and and doing something the right way and doing something in a way that you think can appeal to thoughtful, rational people who want better stuff. I think that's sustainable in the long term. But again, I'm I'm also a guy that types into a box rather than I don't even know how to use Excel. <laughs> like I, I have no idea. Like you know, I, that's a very easy uh, place for me to throw things from a mountaintop when I have no idea how finance works. Mm-hmm. But certainly speaking, uh, I do I do think that, and I think that, but I I do think that overwhelming the consumer and doing uh, it's hard to find this stuff is an okay problem to have. To, uh, to, it's hard. Uh, it, it, the problem is going to be when it's hard to find good stuff, uh, and it's hard to find stuff that isn't, you know, thirteen reasons, thirteen funny faces in the too legit to quit video. <laughs> you know, at, like I keep going back to '90s nostalgia. It feels like that's all that BuzzFeed does. <laughs> um, and so uh, I again. I know many people who work for BuzzFeed and do a great job, just to make that clear. Uh, but, you know, I, so I, I but I, I think that, like, this is a nice problem to have. And I'll be worried when when we're no longer going, you know, if the worst thing to happen is there's so much good stuff. How do I find it all? I, I feel like we're going to be OK. All right. Well, we can stop talking on that that hopeful, optimistic note, I guess. Uh <laughs> That's it for episode 200. Uh, perhaps we will get to 300 one day and have someone else interesting on. But until then, you are stuck with us. Uh, we will be back with new shows next week. All right. So, plug this in. What creature is that? What creature is what? Is that a bird? It is a bird. Are the birds going to ruin this? <laughs> Man, those are so loud and exotic sounding. They're not that loud to me. It's crazy what the... <laughs> it sounds like you're in an aviary. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not. Do you want me to go somewhere else? I guess. Okay. I, don't, I mean... All right, hang on. You, you could kill them. <laughs>